Okay, well, it's really good to be with you again. Some years since I've been. Uh, although Richard and I and Jim and I are often in touch. But some while since I've visited you as a church. In fact, first time I came into this building was actually, well, first time was just to look around it when it was a shell. <laughs> and then used to see it because I did, um, a few years ago, I did some regular Zoom training and Jim was on it and he was always doing something in here. So I got views on the, uh, over Zoom of how far he was getting on with the building and so on. Do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, but and then I took a regional event here a few year, a couple, of, a couple of years ago, but it's really good to be with you as a church and on this thank you on this first occasion of you meeting all together rather than in three separate services three separate congregations but it's really great and thanks for giving me the privilege of speaking at your first one of those uh, so what I'm going to speak on is what I've been asked to speak on I'm always a man under authority. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so I've been asked to speak about what it means to be, or continue to be, I would prefer to say, in this next phase of your church's life together, what it is to be a church on apostolic mission together. So that's what I'm speaking on, a church on apostolic mission. And I'm going to read two scriptures in a moment. And these two sections of scripture... Excuse me, just let me take a... Thanks. I'd better put somewhere where I won't kick it over. Any ideas? Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. These two scriptures come from very, very crucial, world-changing occasions. The first one was the longest recorded prayer of Jesus from John 17, and it was spoken just before the cross. It wasn't his final prayer before the cross. That was, not your will, but mine be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Sorry, that was a crazy, it came out crazy, didn't it? Uh, when Jesus was in agony at the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. But your will be done. That was the final prayer recorded until he said, into thy hands I commit my spirit, when he was actually on the cross. But it, was, it must have been a wonderful lesson for the disciples they'd often asked Jesus teach us how to pray and he taught them how to pray but then rather than that prayer of outline headlines that they could pray by do you do that sometimes okay just go through that wonderful prayer we call the Lord's Prayer it's probably better called the Christian family prayer because it's all about our us together it doesn't say give me my daily bread it said give us you're praying on behalf of the whole body of Christ, some of whom are starving in different parts of the world. 
Okay, it's our Father. Forgive us. So it's a corporate prayer. We make it very, very individualistic, which in modern Western culture we tend to do with most of the Bible, try and make it very individualistic instead of seeing it's about the company of God's people. But on this occasion, they were listening to Jesus and he wasn't just praying that simple prayer. He was praying for the whole scope of history about what was going to happen when he was crucified and risen again. And then he started praying for them, those who believe through my word. Then he started praying for you, those who believe through the apostles' word. And so they were privileged to listen to Jesus praying. And at one point... uh, he, he brings a statement that I want to bring to you today. Mm-hmm. Then the second occasion I'm going to read about was when Jesus, the first meeting of the church after his resurrection. Okay, that must have been a pretty important one, wasn't it? They were there gathered, gathered, uh, doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood amongst them. And then he made certain very important statements and it's those two scriptures that I want to read but as you can see both very very important the big prayer of Jesus before he was crucified the remarks he first made after he rose from the dead so here we go and he's praying here from John 17 I'm starting reading from verse 13 but it's up on the screen I think now I'm coming to you addressing his father I told them that's the disciples Many things while I was with them in this world, so that they would be filled with my joy. Remember, he goes on to say, and I'm praying for those who believe through my word. So Jesus is praying, you will be filled with joy. Okay? I've given them your word, and and the world hates them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. That's the first. Second, crucifixion has taken place. Disciples have all fled. Just some women stood around the cross and at least according to some of the accounts from John as well. But then he rose again and came... uh, to meet with them. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Well, he prayed for them to be filled with joy. Now they were when they saw him. Again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay. So, the prayer of Jesus for his church before he died and the first church meeting after his resurrection will give a clue to the essence of how Jesus saw the church and what are to be the priorities and characteristics of that church. And interestingly, one statement comes in those two scriptures. You noticed it, didn't you? You talk to me. One statement came in both. As he was praying, this statement came. As he rose from the dead, this statement came. What was it? Firstly, just as you, Father, sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Okay. Second was, as the Father sent me, because it was now crunch time, he'd prayed for it before, now he's saying, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And I would say, the church, that's the definition of the church. It's the DNA of the church. The church is a community on mission. You might, if you want to ask what the definition of the church is, well, there's many things you could say, the bride of Christ, the, um, and so on, the army of God. You could say all these things, but actually the essence is it's a community on mission. If you're part of a church, that's what you do. It's not somewhere you come to. It's who you are. You know, we often use that biblical, unbiblical expression, I went to church today. Bible never says that. The Bible says the church came together because you're in the church all the time. Yeah. All the time you're part of a community sent into the world. But from time to time, that community comes together. But what it's doing the rest of the time is engaged with this world, bearing witness to Christ. That's what it means to be a sent or apostolic people. Apostolic is just a great word for sent. <laughs> sent with authority. Okay? And so he's saying, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And he prays for them. I'm praying for them because as you sent me, I am sending you. The church is God's community on world mission. That's who we are. Yep. You part of the church here? Yep. What are you part of? God's community on mission. mission. Okay. So, that's command comes because the, and the essence of the church is it's on mission. Sometimes... We talk as if being sent or doing evangelism. I don't know why we say doing evangelism. You say, don't say doing praying or doing anything else. Well, when it comes to evangelism, I'm doing some evangelism. No, no. It's not like that at all. Rather, it is that uh, the essence of the whole church is that it exists for apostolic mission. It's why it's here in the world. 
And it's what we're set apart for. That's another thing that Jesus says in his prayer. He uses the term, in some translations, sanctified, or in the one I read, made holy. It means to be set apart exclusively for God, for his purpose. Originally in the Old Testament, the word sanctified or made holy meant that set apart for sacred duty. So, it says of Jeremiah, the prophet, he was sanctified, he was set apart to be a prophet. It says of um, Aaron and his sons, they were set apart to be priests. And then when Jesus came into the world, he was set apart, he was sanctified, that's what he means by this, for his mission to come to die to save a people who in turn are set apart to God for their mission to go into the world as Jesus did. D.A. Carson, great theologian, says this, in John's gospel, sanctification or being made holy is always for mission. It's not... And this is very, very important because that's true biblical holiness. We sometimes think of holiness as being as far away from the world as possible. Biblical holiness is being set apart to be sent into the world. That's what being a holy people is. And he says, Jesus says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. That's a strange thing for him to say, isn't it? Do you often, when you pray, say to God, Father, I'm not praying for this. (laughs) I'm not praying for that. But Jesus here says, tells us what I'm not, what he's not praying for. I don't think that's because God, his Father, needed to hear that. Who needed to hear that? the disciples who were listening they needed to hear that they got jesus was not praying for them to be taken out of the world and i think that was because jesus obviously would know that throughout church history people would think holiness is being as far as far apart from the world as possible so Jesus said, I'm not, that, I'm not praying that. I don't want you to take them away out of the world. I want them sent into the world. Just as he was, he got involved in the world. He went to the world's parties. He mixed, he mixed with sinners. He did all those things. Yeah. That was his holiness at work. Yeah. He says, I'm praying rather that you keep them from the evil one. Because we need that. If we're going to be sent into the world, we need this prayer to be worked out that we are kept from the evil one. Okay, Because the evil one's at work in the world. And that's where we're being sent. And he could tempt us. He could attack us. All these things. And Jesus is praying. I'm praying that you will keep them from the evil one, but not praying that they be taken out of the world. Rather... As the Father sent me into the world, so I'm sending you. And that's how we should regard ourselves. That's what we should pray. We say, Lord, not is there some mission we could do? But Lord, we're on mission. 
protect us. Maybe show us exactly where our role in mission should be worked out. Because you can't do everything. And all God's people are being called to be in mission in different ways. And you've got to think as a church in this next uh, phase, as you have been, but now in the next phase as well. Okay, God, we're sent into the world. Where do you want us to work? Who do you want us to reach? You pray that yourself. Now, who do you want me to talk to? Because that's who you are. This church is a community sent into the world, which from time to time, generally on a Sunday and maybe once or twice during the week, gathers together. But the rest of the time, we're where we're meant to be in the world. I, I'm, sometimes people say, you know, I want, you know, they've got a very busy job, and they'll say things like, yeah, I'm not, I really want to be free of this sort of job in order to be useful in the kingdom. What utter rubbish. The fact they have a job like that means they can be useful in the kingdom because they'll be taking the kingdom into that context. If you go there, most of you are going to work tomorrow morning, yeah? Okay, or going to student study or something, as you do. The kingdom of God's coming here because I'm being sent into the world. So, that's true biblical holiness. So Jesus says that is the purpose of this new community. He's urgent after the resurrection. First he says to them, peace, shalom, assalamu alaikum, whichever words you use, that's what he's saying to them. Peace, that's the, to be the characteristic and atmosphere of the community. Receiving the peace of God. That's, you know, we could say that to each other. You know, it's how the Eastern people greet each other. You know, the Jews say shalom. The Muslims say assalamu alaikum. They're saying, let there be peace. We say, oh, all right. <laughs> but they said let there be peace let the peace of God be here that's to be the atmosphere of the church when we come together the peace of God and Jesus said it twice to stress it again he said you might say, well, having greeted them, why did he say it again? Well, he does, because he's wanted to say, this is what my people are to be. We're to be a people at peace with God, at peace with one another, at peace with what God's made us to be. And then he says, go. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That's the purpose of the community. So the character or atmosphere of the community is peace. The purpose of the community is be sent into the world. And in all the resurrection accounts, there's the same urgency. For Matthew, it's the outworking of the authority of the risen Jesus Christ. All authority on heaven, earth and heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, now go to every nation and make disciples. 
Why? Because all the nations belong to him. Now you go and get them by making disciples of them. In Mark, he rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith and says, go into all of creation and signs and wonders will follow to establish their message. In Luke, stroke Acts, written by the same person, volume one and volume two of the same work, it's, it's um, specific and strategic. First, another rebuke. Don't be occupied with times and dates. Rather, it's not for you to know. As Christians, we forget that and we try and work it all out sometimes. Jesus said, not for you to know. Rather, you go and be my disciples. Make my, sorry, you go, make disciples uh, in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What's that? What every local church should have their expression of. Every local church should think, Judea, that's your hometown. Or city, sorry, I must be respectful when I'm here. Okay. (laughs) Your home city, your Judea, the region around you, your Samaria. What's that? That's people close to you geographically but different culturally because every that's what the Samaritans live just they just live there just around the corner the Samaritans were Um, but they were different culturally from the Jews and so we have to reach those who are different culturally and the ends of the earth so every local church needs to be thinking what are we doing for our Jerusalem, your, the Worcester? What are we doing for the region around? What are we doing to reach cross-culturally, which can be social or, or, or ethnic? And what are we doing for sending to the ends of the earth? Dead simple, isn't it, really? <laughs> and so, the same urgency in all the resurrection accounts. So... What does it mean, therefore, to be sent as Jesus was sent? How was Jesus sent? Well, of course, the sending of Jesus was completely unique. Only he could die for our sins. Only he could be sent as a sin offering for us. And that's been uh, wonderfully referred to in our worship. Only he. Okay, so... How does it apply to us then? He, we can't be sent as he was sent to die for the sins of the world, obviously. We celebrate that he's done it once and for all. But we still need to be sent as he was sent. So what did he mean? Well, firstly, if we look at the life of Jesus, to announce and bring in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means the active ruling of God into every context where we can bring it. So we announce it. Okay. That's what that was Jesus's manifesto. He said, "Repent, the kingdom of God is here." Now, to those he was speaking to, they had to repent in two ways. They first they had to repent of their personal sin, which is how we often still apply it rightly. 
I need to come to Christ. I need to repent and keep repenting of my personal sin. But they also had to repent from their whole way of looking at life. He said, the kingdom of God is here. They thought the kingdom of God would mean a political kingdom. The Romans would be kicked out and Israel would be top nation. That was their worldview, their outlook. So when Jesus said, repent, he said, repent of your personal sin and also repent of your wrong way at looking at life and the whole worldview of your culture. That's what it meant. So they had to, so he started teaching them that would challenge their worldview. He said, love your enemies. What? What do I do? Thought you were coming to overthrow our enemies. No, love your enemies. And if some Roman soldier slaps you on the cheek, that's all right, I won't demonstrate it. Then <laughs> sit on the other cheek. I wonder, what, what, was that, what was that? You see, the Roman soldiers were sh- slapping on the cheek and shaming people. I was once standing in a queue in Pakistan to get into the airport. Okay, we were flying out. I was, well, I was on my own, actually. I was flying out, and you have to... You've been there, haven't you, Richard? You have to queue to get into the airport. That's the first queue. <laughs> and... About three or four people in front of me had a quarrel, and I saw them slap each other's face. And then they went, what were they doing? It wasn't punching to hurt. It was shaming. And Jesus said, even if they shame you, people do now. They don't slap your face in our culture. But they shame you. You know, you don't believe that, do you? And they mock you. And Jesus said, Yeah, turn the other cheek as well. Carry that, because that's part of what it means to be sent into the world and part of adjusting our worldview. So we're not standing up for our rights, we stand up for the rights of other people not always standing up for our own, we're accepting that we're here in a very different kingdom. Do you follow me? So we have to repent of our personal sin and believe the gospel, and we have to repent of a wrong way of looking at life which is influenced by our culture. And so it's a commitment to God's new program to bring in everything in heaven and on earth, under one head, Jesus Christ. We need to have these big views of things, even at a time when the church seems more and more insignificant, certainly in the West, we need to have that view. It's global. It's turning upside down the kingdoms of this world. It's implementing the hopes of the prophets with justice in a world of injustice. Freedom for those so disadvantaged and crushed they can hardly lift up their heads. Setting free those for whom life is a monotonous grind under the feet of cruel exploitation. All demonstrated through the church 
and through the kingdom. And yet, you might say, but how can we, make, how can we change the world? Well, Jesus taught that as well in the kingdom. He said, you simply sow seeds. You can't change the world. You can sow seeds of change. That's what he said. The kingdom of God is like a man sowing seeds. You can do that, can't you? <laughs> you might not be able to overturn in, uh, as one church the whole way the city of Worcester looks at something. But you can sow seeds. You can say, no, that's not right. You can, you can bring the truth of the love of God into all sorts of contexts. You can demonstrate love for the outwardly, in the world's eyes, unlovely. Yeah? You can sow seeds. You can do a good deed. Do you understand? Because if it's changed the world, that's pretty tall order, and we can feel overwhelmed. But you can all sow seeds. You can all make a little difference to things. Because it's to announce and bring the kingdom of God. So being sent as Jesus was sent will mean a kingdom perspective, how we help the poor, how we operate in the world of work and business. Now, how you are at work? Well, you're bringing the kingdom. You're not trying to push other people down to get on yourself. I know when I, I was very ambitious when I was at work, and then God convicted me, I have to, I have to, lay that down in order to honour the other people. You know? I remember when I had to think about that. When I was in a real job, you remember? Many, many years ago. How we work for justice. How we show compassion to children. How we release the oppressed. How we live out our personal lives and our family lives demonstrating the kingdom of God. Sowing seeds. Was that? That's the first way in which we're sent. So, as an apostolic people, that's the first thing. Okay? You are people sent? You a community on mission? Is that the very essence of who you are, or do you come to meetings? <laughs> do you understand? You are people on mission. The first thing is to announce to bring and bring the kingdom of God. Secondly, Jesus was sent to form the church a people. John 17 is like a church planter's prayer. I've revealed your name to them. I've brought them through. I've brought them into a community. You understand? That's what it's like. He's done that and he's now praying for them. That's what you do when you plant your churches. No? So well, and you pray for them. You've brought these churches through. you sent and we've, you know, I just rejoice in some of the places I've worked to. Other people have done most of the work, but I, I sort of initiated it. So I was with our, our Russian friends, the churches that are part of our family there, and uh, chatting to them. Last, we, we met them in Georgia, because um, we could both go there. And uh, they... Listening to one of the guys, a good friend of mine, I've stayed in his house many times. And he was, they've seen well over a thousand gypsies baptized over the last years, a couple of years. 
said, wow. And they lost count of the number of gypsy house churches they've got across that area. And I thought, wow, Ben. I just helped them understand mission a bit. And they do it. They get on and do it, and we pray for what they do. Do you understand? And that's the dynamic of New Testament mission. In Acts 2, Holy Spirit comes, you get a community filled with the Spirit who devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, prayer, fellowship. Then it says God could add to their number every day those who are being saved. Now, we may not get it every day, but we're a community which God can add to. Because both mission and community have their origins in the Trinity. The Father sends the Son. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are perfect community. The Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son, to get theological with you, send the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is perfect community and community in mission. And Jesus forms a church that reflects the Trinity. So he says, praying for his disciples, he says, may they be in us, that's community, that the world may know, that's mission. He says, he prays, Lord, I pray for these people, may they be brought to complete unity. That's community. That the world may know that you sent me. That's mission. Even how you are with each other is a witness to the world. The fact that you always honour each other wherever you are, the fact that you speak highly of the community to which you belong to, don't you? Okay. That's a mission to the world. Then he says in John, that's in his prayer, then in John 13, verse 34, earlier he said, love one another, that's community, that the world may know you're my disciples, that's mission. Community mission, community mission, community mission all the time. Okay. Mission, therefore, is almost meaningless without the church and community. Church-based, church-planting mission is not just more effective, it's the essence of New Testament mission. Discipling is primarily corporate in the New Testament. Jesus did most of his discipling in groups, not one-on-one. He did. Because when you're in groups, that's when real discipling can go on. You know, one of the disciples came to Jesus one day and said, how many times must I forgive my brother? That was not an academic theological question that he dreamt up. (laughs) Someone had really offended him. (laughs) You have to be in a group to get offended. (laughs) Okay. Thirdly, to serve. 
Jesus was sent as the servant. It was the fulfillment of Old Testament messianic prophecies that he, the servant would come. And in the way he did it, he served both the world and his embryonic church. The biblical word servant is wonderfully rich in meaning. It's the dignity of the anointed one. Behold my servant. I put my spirit upon him. In Isaiah, it sometimes refers to Christ, sometimes to the people of God. We are now the corporate anointed servant with the dignity of God's commission and the power of God's spirit upon us. But it's also an attitude we take. We have such dignity, Jesus had such dignity that he could wash people's feet. That was not a sign of subservience, it was a sign of dignity. You know, he knew he was coming from God and was going back to God, so he got up from the table, washed his disciples' feet. Because of his dignity, he could serve. And that's what we're to be like. Because of the dignity God's given us as the anointed people of God, we just serve one another and we serve the world. You know, in today's, in today's UK, often just sharing the gospel on its own doesn't do much. Serving the city where you are brings credibility. You know, we found out in our own home church, we've been serving the community for years. Takes a long time to be trusted. But now the Bedford Council have given our church the responsibility to run Bedford's befriending service for lonely people. Get paid for it as well. Good. Why? Because we've served. And we're still going to serve. And they, pray, they pay for the staff that we could employ to run it. So we're, we're to be a people that serve our cities. Serving also, when Jesus came, he came right into human flesh in a particular culture at a particular time and served people. He handled lepers. He let prostitutes wash his feet, expressing their gratitude. And then praise them because they were people forgiven much, so they loved much. Serving means prepared to get involved in other cultures without expecting the other culture to conform, conform to your expectations. Okay? We're servants of every culture. Paul says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave, that's the word he uses, to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Strange comment, that, because he was a Jew. But he was so living free of his culture that he could say, when I go to the Jews, I become like a Jew. You know? When I come back from abroad, I suddenly have to become like an Englishman, you know? <laughs> to the, those under the law, I became like one under the law. To those, to win those under law. To those not having the law, I became like the one not having the law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, often misquoted uh, reference. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I may save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. So we serve the different cultures. 
and finally to all nations. So interestingly, although Jesus himself ministered primarily, though not exclusively, to the to Israel, it wasn't actually exclusively. It says in early when he was preaching the kingdom, he went through the region of Galilee. It was called Galilee of the Nations. That's because it was many languages were spoken in Galilee. It was a multicultural area. News about him spread as far as Syria. And people, Syria people were coming. People across the Jordan were coming. But he basically based himself in the land of Israel. But later he became clear that sending for us must involve the whole world, every people group in our hearts. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. That's what, that's what you need to remember about eschatology, the beginning of the, the end times. The gospel's got to go to every nation. So let's worry about that. And then Paul described it in terms of his personal mission. The key verse of Paul's apostolic mission, I'm nearly there. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the nations, or all the Gentiles, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. The main features and call for us as well as for Paul, for his name's sake, to bring glory to God everywhere. That's why we've got to plant churches in every city, town and village across the world. Not just us, but the whole church of Jesus. Because everywhere must be the temple of God, giving glory to him. We've received grace. Have you received grace? <laughs> totally undeserved love from God. The origin of our calling and our ongoing service. We never stop serving out of grace. You know, I need grace to be able to preach to you tonight. And I say, well, you've preached loads of times. Yeah, I have. I need grace to bring something to you. I need his empowering grace, his provision. We've received apostleship. That's being sent with authority and gifting on our mission among all the Gentiles, all the nations, a worldwide call. Okay. So... Just a few suggestions to practically apply that. Firstly, make sure that's always what you are, a community on mission. Make sure your community is brilliant and make sure your mission flows out of your community. Okay. But in particular, keep, here's a few suggestions. Keep your kingdom-serving emphasis and influence others to do the same. I rejoice that through the ministry of this church, many others have seen the importance of reaching the poor. And I say, well, it's not as effective yet as we'd like it to be. No, it's not. It's sowing seeds and helping others to sow seeds. Jim, keep going. Keep your kingdom-serving emphasis as a church and influence others to do the same. That's my first application for you. Okay, would you like to say that together? One, two, three, keep... Come on! <laughs> serving, kingdom-serving emphasis. Secondly, keep your international perspective. Never get too localised. 
In fact, you need an international perspective to work well locally. You do. Because you see things differently when you see how believers in other nations are doing things. So, number two is, one, two, three, keep your international perspective. Don't lose it, ever. I know there's nations in which you're serving, keep serving. There are other nations that God leads you to, take it on. Thirdly, evangelize locally. You say, this is obvious, we know all this. Yeah, I know you do, but I'm telling you as well. Because this is what it means to be a community on mission. Because otherwise, you are trying to encourage elsewhere what you're not doing locally. And it's very easy to do that. You know, you can support and encourage and things happening elsewhere. And then don't say, well, that's my fulfillment of the Great Commission. And fourthly, play your role as part of an apostolic family. You know, God in, today, in, 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 in the world today, and he's doing it all over the world, is bringing churches together in relational, informal families of churches. It's happening everywhere. I've got invitations into all sorts of contexts. I can't fulfill them all. Just to teach on some of the stuff I'm teaching on fathering churches and things like that. Because God's doing that all over the world. I wish I could fulfill them all. So you're part of an apostolic family. That's what we're gathered together. Whether it's Catalyst or the wider New Frontiers family. You're part of a family. That's right. It's what God's doing. In the New Testament, there were apostles who had different families of churches. Paul said, I may be an apostle to you, I may not be to someone else but to the family I am. And so play your role to the maximum extent that you possibly can without neglecting your local church. In the apostolic family you're part of, pray for, uh, pray for them, get involved. So those things are dead simple and you're doing them anyway. So this is not wonderful revelation, but I did feel to underline it as part of this message on being a community sent into the world. I hope that fulfilled what I was asked to do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you now. Do you understand? Yeah, Father... I pray right now for Hope Church. Pray for the leaders here. Pray for each member here. I pray that the whole church may be a community on mission. Not isolated individuals doing what they think they can, but a community on mission that God can add people to. I pray for it. Let them be. Let them lay hold of their inheritance as a community sent into the world. Please, Lord. Help them not to see evangelism and mission as optional extras to going to church. 
Lord, I pray, help them to see that's what the church is. Father, please. As the Father sent me, said Jesus, I am sending you. And he prayed for us in that mission. It's a context of his praying for us. And even praying for those that believe through their word. And we all believe through those original apostles' words. Father, I pray, help us. And Lord, these four simple applications, I pray for them. May they keep and increase their kingdom-serving emphasis. Lord, that's not just a specialist thing. It's what this church is to be. Serve the community. You need to find ways of doing it. Other churches will do it, serve the communities in other ways. That's part of what God's doing. But keep serving the community. Okay. Some of you have a particular calling in that respect, and you know. Could you raise your hands, please, if you have a particular calling to serve the local community? Others who have different callings, but some of you are particularly called to serve here. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that each of them right now who've responded to that sense a pers the personal hand of Jesus upon them to fulfill this mission. Lord, I pray, let it not be just that I think it's a good idea, but Lord, I pray, let it be a calling from you mm. that they are know they've received. I ask for it in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> May they keep their international perspective. Open doors to them, Lord, I pray, yeah. like you already have done. Lord, keep those doors open and open others as well. Lord, I ask. Lord, help them in their local evangelism. I pray, Lord, as the word that a brother shared earlier, that we're together in larger numbers and God can add to those larger numbers. Lord, I pray for that. Lord, please. May there be something exponential about it. Father, please. Lord, even though they can't get more in one time than in this building, let them in the main multiplicity of services, yeah. find themselves added to. Yeah. And Lord, may they play their role as part of the apostolic family they're part of. Lord, and see that as a privilege, not a burden. Father, I ask, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we thank Dave? <clears throat> do do take your seats uh, we're going to finish up there but thank you so much for coming thank you david uh loads of loads